Would you be seated, please? It's an incredible story, isn't it? As we uh, worship this morning, we just want to take a moment to uh, tell you about how we're in a season of prayer for global missions, world missions. And a part of that season of prayer, we also are taking our world missions offering. Our goal for our church is $25,000, and we're about halfway there. Uh, so that's great news, but we want to ask you to continue to pray and ask God that as you reflect on this Christmas season of Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth on a rescue mission, that you would join God in that work, that you would be a part of that 
rescue mission as well through prayer, through going yourself, but also through giving and giving to this offering. So as I said, welcome to worship. We're so so excited that you're here. And um, what now? I don't really know what to do with my hands, but um, we're glad that you're here. And if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here. And the one thing that we would ask is that you would fill out the guest registration card located in the pew rack. There's a place if you um, have a prayer request or if you have an offering, or no, when we take up our offering, y'all need to pray for me. I'm working on it. But if you have a prayer request or if you'd like to take our newsletter, thank you, Todd, you can do all that through the offering. I know. What happened? I caught the Todd bug. With all that being said, uh, hopefully I've communicated that. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Let's take a moment. Let's pray as we continue to worship. Oh, Father, we thank you for your good gifts. And God, this season when we celebrate the greatest one, your son Jesus, who you sent uh, to save us, God. Lord, as we begin to reflect on that this morning, God, would you well up inside of us just a song of praise. God, would you move us to express to you our gratitude and our thankfulness and just our excitement that we have hope and we can be made right with you. We thank you for this season. We thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and let's sing together. Yeah. 
going to slow it down a little bit. Now I want you just to imagine you're sitting around in the living room. All right. I need your imagination now. Sitting in the living room. Sitting in the living room. It's not hard to imagine, is it? Where's the remote? Yeah, where's <laughs> So we're sitting around in the living room around, you know, the fire or whatever, and we're just going to sing some hymns and just enjoy just a little hymn, a little uh, carol, excuse me, carols. Uh, sing. So these are some some of our favorites. Joyful, joyful we adore thee God of glory Lord of love hearts unfold sun above melt the clouds of sin and sadness drive the dark of doubt away giver of immortal gladness fill us with the light of day rejoice with us. Your love has come here to dwell. All thy works with joy surround me. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars on angels sing center of unbroken praise. Fields and forests, vales and mountains, firing meadow, flashing sea. Singing bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Your love 
which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us onward in the triumph song of Oh 
before the Emmanuel, God with us. You sing this with us. we come before you this morning, Emmanuel, God with us, not just a name, but a promise in a name. Oh, Lord, you didn't just stay in the heavenly places, separated from your creation, separated from your, your children. No, Lord, you, you put on the, the robe of, of flesh and came to be amongst us here on the earth so that we could see how to live, so that we could know you personally. You came to be God, God with us, a name with a promise. And so, Lord, we, we love that you are here with us today. I pray that, that our worship will put a smile upon your face. In Jesus' name. Oh, Emmanuel, we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Welcome uh, to worship. Good to worship with you and sing those carols together. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, you see the set uh, here today. I just want to take a moment to thank uh, those in our music and drama ministries for sharing a Christmas musical with us these past two nights. They've done a tremendous job with this, and tonight is the final uh, uh, presentation of that at 6.30, 6.30 tonight. Many of you have not been here yet. I want to encourage you to come and um, see this final presentation of the Christmas celebration and again, we appreciate their ministry so much. Some great actors and singers and uh, have shared their talents and their hard work with us. We're very appreciative of that. I want to share with you, this Saturday we're having a free shopping event for parents, Christmas toy shopping event. Former Sheriff Steve Graves, from his charitable work when he was sheriff, gave us about 85 cases of toys. 
And we're going to give those away in the name of Jesus and present a gospel witness and a Jesus film and a gospel track to everyone who comes. And so if you and your connections know of parents who maybe could use some help at Christmas, this is for parents, and uh, they come it's from 9 to 11 this Saturday. Would you just help us spread that word? we got a lot of you who are volunteering. We appreciate that so much. Still, we will welcome you. If you still want to come and volunteer, you show up at 830 uh, but uh, help us spread the word uh, that you may know somebody who could use that. Maybe somebody's not in church, be a good connection with them. Uh, appreciate you sharing that word. This Saturday, 9 to 11, in our gym, that free shopping event uh, for parents for Christmas. Today I'm beginning a, a new series of sermons for Christmas, a four-part sermon series entitled, What the Christmas Story Teaches Us About God. You see, it's easy to read the Christmas story and get caught up in all the colorful characters. There are angels and wise men and shepherds and an evil king and there's a young engaged couple and there's an old priest couple. And, uh, but you know, the, the Christmas story is not about any of them. The central character of the Christmas story is God. In fact, the central character of the whole Bible is God. The Bible is not primarily about Adam and Noah and Daniel and and Joseph and all of the others. The Bible is about God. The Bible is the self-revelation of God to us. God is revealing himself. He's telling us what he is like so that we might know him. You can have a personal relationship with God. And the Bible is that revelation. And and the revelation of God in the Bible is progressive. That is, it gradually unfolds. Could you think of a flower in bud? And then it gradually unfolds into a bloom, and you see more and more of the flower as it unfolds. Maybe you can see a little color in the bud, and then you see more and more as it unfolds. The Bible's like that. God has chosen to reveal himself progressively through the revelation of the Bible. Maybe, he, maybe we couldn't have stood it if he dumped the whole load on us on one, at one time about what God is like. So throughout the Bible, he progressively reveals more and more of himself that we may know him more and more. Well, the Christmas story is a big jump in that revelation. The Christmas story is a, a monumental event in the revelation of God to us. So what do we learn about God from the Christmas story. What does the Christmas story teach us about God? That's what we're going to look at these next four weeks. Today, I want to begin with an incredible truth, perhaps the most basic truth that the Christmas story reveals to us about God, and that is we learn at Christmas God has a son. Who knew? God has a son. He's a father who has a son. Let me read to you what Luke wrote in his account of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God, and you'll conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. 
and he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Most High is a title for God in the Old Testament. Melchizedek, priest of God, Most High. So it's the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Here's the revelation of God himself to us in the Christmas story and he reveals that God is a father who has a son who's the son of God now what does this mean son of God we, we get this revelation here does it mean he's just a chip off the old block he's a little God uh, he's sort of like God what does this mean well as Jesus grew up to be a man he taught us and he revealed more and more of himself and his relationship to the Father. And he called God my Father. And he spoke of a unique relationship between himself and the Father. Let me read to you just a few quotes, if I may, from um, the Gospels that Jesus said as he grew up in Matthew eleven twenty seven. He said this, All things have been committed to me by my Father. This is how Jesus began to speak of God. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You hear that unique relationship. And in John 3.35, it says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. And then in John 10.30, another example of what Jesus said about this relationship. And He said, I and the Father are one and so John wrote his gospel, that is his story of Jesus, one of the four gospels we have. And John didn't include what we would call a traditional Christmas story like Matthew and Luke did. John probably wrote later than the others. And John is sort of reflective and interpretive. As he begins his gospel, he includes an introduction and this is sort of what he has in place of the Christmas story. This is his introduction to the story. And this is his reflection on this, what he had heard Jesus say about the Father. He begins in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. So that's John's name for Jesus before God told Mary to name him Jesus. Later in this chapter, it identifies the Word as Jesus. And later in this chapter, it identifies him by the title, the Son. So you could put either of these words in for the word, word here. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Or you could put Son, S-O-N here. In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was God. So we learn in this revelation that the Son, he didn't just become something at the birth or conception that he was in the beginning was the word so he wasn't created he's been here before creation he's in the beginning the son has eternally existed as the father has eternally existed and in the beginning was the word or the son and the word was with God so there's some distinction between God the father and God the son right because he's with him 
But yet the next phrase says, and the Word was God. So Jesus, the Son, who's eternally existed, is identified as God, and yet there's some distinction from the Father. He's with the Father, and yet he's God. And we're beginning to understand this miraculous, amazing revelation of God as Father and Son. We didn't know this really before Christmas. Go on down and John, let me one more verse from this introduction, John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son. So Jesus is the one and only Son of God. Now there is a sense when you believe in, G- in God, you believe, except Jesus, that you become a son or a daughter of God. That's a proper thing to say that we're sons of God, daughters of God, but not in the same sense that he's the son of God. He is the unique son of God or the one and only son of God. So it says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father. Do you hear it there? He's God, and he's in close relationship with the Father and has made him known. And that's what's happening at Christmas. He's revealing to us that God is Father and Son, that there's a two-in-one, two persons in one God that have existed for all eternity, that they've always been Father and Son. And, and that, that Jesus, the Son, is fully God, yet he's in some way distinct person from the Father. We didn't know this before Christmas. Oh, we had some hints in the Old Testament, but it wasn't revealed until now. In the Old Testament, the teaching about God to us was that there's only one true living God. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one. And we believe that. We affirm that as Christians. How many gods are there? There's only one true living God. And yet within that one God there is we're learning now two persons. A father and a son. So there's some plurality within the one God. We had a little bit of hints of that. Do you remember when, we, when I was preaching on the doctrine of, of man and we looked at the verse in Genesis 1.26. I'll show it to you again. Then God said, let us make man. Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Remember that? Uh, why did he say, let us make man in our image? Well, there's a little bit of hint, perhaps, to us that in this one God, there's relationship. There's two personalities. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Do you hear both singularity and plurality there? He says, Who shall I send, God says, And then he says in a parallel statement, and who will go for us? Who's the usins in this is talking about here? Well, the us is the Father and the Son. But we wouldn't have figured that out just by reading that, right? We can only see that now looking back from Christmas. We can see those hints, but it's only in the Christmas story that we've come to see that God is two in one. 
He's the Father and Son. Now, how in the world do we understand this two-in-oneness? That's so strange to us. So what we've tried to do, Christians have tried to come up with analogies that would try to help us understand how there could be only one God and yet an eternal Father and a Son. I'm no physicist by any stretch of the imagination, but I understand from basic physics that that uh, physicists say that light is both waves and particles. And Einstein said that if you try to understand light just as waves, you can't, or just as particles, you can't. But when you look at it in both ways, you can have a complete understanding of what light is. I don't know what in the world that means, but there's an example of how even the most brilliant of scientists say to us, they call it a mystery or a paradox. If there is a mystery in the creation of our world, how something could be both light, could be both particle and waves, could it not be that the creator of the creation could have some mystery about him and be two in one as well? Now let me bring it down to earth on my level. What would you call this garment I'm wearing on the bottom half of my body here? Britches, pants, trousers. What are all those words? They're all plural. How many garments do I have on the bottom half of my body right here? Just one. It's, it's singular at the top and plural at the bottom, I guess. I guess that's why we call them pants. You know, but it, that's sort of a basic. But you get the idea of... Could there be two in one? Now, the, all of those illustrations fail. There is an illustration that comes closer that the Bible gives us of two in one. Do you know what it is? It is marriage. And the Bible tells us that marriage can help us to understand the two in oneness of the father and son. And the father and son can help us understand what marriage ought to be like. Let me read to you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. He's quoting from foundational from Genesis chapter 2. It's quoted several times in the Bible. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. In the mystery of marriage, two personalities, two individuals who retain their individual personality in their marriage. And yet they become a unit, they become a oneness. And at, in your marriage, if you're married, when your marriage is at its best, it reflects and gives witness to the very nature of God of two in oneness. Because in the, the relationship of the father and son, there is harmony and unity and mutual yielding to one another. There is no jealousy between the father and the son. And they've coexisted for all eternity in a love relationship. Remember what we read that Jesus said, the father loves the son and has committed all things to him. And it's a model for your marriage and what God wants your marriage to be. The relationship with the father and the son in unity and harmony and yielding of rights and no competition and no jealousy and mutual submission. It's what your marriage ought to be. And your marriage at its best gives testimony to the two-in-oneness of the very nature of the God who created and made you.
Now, as if our minds were not blown enough already by this two-in-oneness, as the flower of the revelation of God continues through the Bible, we learn that God is not just two-in-one, but there's more. Because Jesus, the eternal Son, sent down from heaven to show us the Father, just before he ascended back to the Father, he had these words to say to us in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, the night before he died, he said, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And so just as the Father has sent the Son, now Jesus says the Son will ask the Father and the Father will send you another of the same kind, another counselor, the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit had been around all the time. In fact, you read the Bible, you're going to encounter the Holy Spirit in the second verse of the Bible. Verse 1, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the verse 2 says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over his creation. So he'd been around the old t- whole time. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes to fall on people. He's, he's been here eternally also, but now is a new revelation that he is going to come just as the Father sent the eternal Son to earth and we've known him. Now he's going to send the Spirit and that was fulfilled at Pentecost when the Spirit who had always been here now comes into the life of every believer who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a new revelation of and a new chapter in the work of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to learn from the rest of the New Testament. We can take time to go through it, but we're focusing on Christmas. I'm giving you the big picture. That the Spirit is also God, fully God, eternally here, just like the Son and the Father, co-equal with them, distinct personality, and yet there's still only one true God. And so it's what we call a trinity three in one. And so the full revelation of God is that he's Trinity, that he's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so again, Christians have tried to come up with analogies to try to understand this mind-blowing mystery. How do we understand three in one? So we've tried from all different things that we're familiar with to try to make comparisons. Well, maybe it's like water. You know, water can be solid, liquid, or gas. It can be be ice or liquid water. It can be steam. Maybe that's like what the Trinity is. But that falls short because water is never all three of those at the same time, is it? Only at different times. That's the error of modalism about the Trinity. Some would say, well, you had the Father, then you have the Son, Then you have the Spirit. Same God, He's just the Father for a while, Son for a while, and then the Spirit for a while. You know, just sort of like if you melt an ice cube, it starts out solid, then it goes liquid, then it goes gas. That's not what we mean by the Trinity. We mean He's been all three at the same time for all eternity. And when Jesus was baptized, the voice from heaven, the Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on his shoulder in the form of a dove and all three persons of the Trinity there. So that doesn't quite work. Or maybe somebody has said, well, maybe the Trinity is like a person. A man can be a father, 
a brother or husband and a son at all three relationships, maybe that helps us to understand the Trinity. Maybe, but that's still just one person in three different roles, and this is more than what we're talking about, one God in three different roles. We're talking about three distinct persons or personalities in one God. Again, the Bible gives us one illustration that's better than those we might come up with to understand how three or more could be one, and it is the church. The church, let me read it to you in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, just as a body, though one has many parts, so all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. It's still not a perfect illustration, but I'm saying to you that when the church functions at its best, it reflects the Trinitarian nature of God, of where multiple personalities come together in unity and in harmony and in yielding of rights to one another, and we work together with one mind and one common goal, then we at our best testify to the Trinitarian nature of God. And in the same way, it works the other way, the Trinity is the model of what we ought to be. No jealousy between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Who's going to get top billing? They don't care. The Spirit stays in the background most of the time. He's always talking about Jesus. He just points people to Jesus. There's no jealousy in the Trinity. He, he's the one who's pointing people to Jesus and to the Father. And the Trinity is a model of what the church ought to be of those distinct personalities coming together to form a unity of love just as the Father has loved the Son forever, that we love one another and that we work together for one mind, one purpose. What a beautiful picture God has given us. Nothing fully helps us to understand the Trinity, the three-in-oneness of God. It is, in the end, it's not contradictory. Logical people can believe in the Trinity, but it is a mystery. And some people say, I can't believe in a three-in-one God. So you're saying that God has to be small enough for your puny mind to wrap around him, right? You want a God that you can completely understand that is little enough, and if God's not little enough for you to get your mind all the way around him, then he can't be God. I'm glad to have a God who's big, Glad to have a God who's beyond my understanding and has chosen to reveal himself to us. The religion of Islam is a rejection of the Trinitarian nature of God. In 600 AD, 600 years after Christmas, there were those who said, this, this can't be, and the prophet Muhammad rejected the Trinity. Let me read to you a portion from the Quran. It says, Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of Allah. So believe in Allah and his messengers and say not three. Say not three. This is a rejection of the Trinitarian nature of God. Cease. It is better for you. Allah is only one God. Far be it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. Now, I'm not implying that we should disrespect Muslims or dislike Muslims. We're to love all people, respect all persons. But I'm saying to you that both of these can't be true. And that Islam is a deliberate rejection, 600 years after Christmas, of the revealed nature of God in the Bible and the, the, the 
fundamental tenet of Islam is that God cannot have a son. Far be it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. But Christians believe that the word of God reveals to us an eternal father, an eternal son, eternal spirit, one God. And that if we're going to submit to the word of God, that we can do no else but acknowledge that Trinitarian nature of God. If you think that it would be easier to have this simple view of God, let me, let me suggest something to you. A simple, single-person God, why would he ever create? This is a question that philosophers deal with. Why would God make anything? Why is, or if you're not a Christian, why is there anything? You ever think about that? Why should it, there be anything? Or why should God create anything? And if there's a single person God, either he creates because he's needy. Man, I'm lonely. I wish there was something besides me. I think I'll create some stuff. That's, a, that's not a very good needy, lonely God. Or if he's a single person God, he's self-sufficient. You believe he's all set. Well, then he doesn't need anything. Why create anything? There's no rationale for there being anything in a single person God. But if there is indeed, as the Bible reveals, a Trinitarian God who has been in relationship and loving for all eternity, it is the overflow of his nature to create because he's been loving and relating all of eternity. And so from that overflow, a relational loving God creates to share his very nature and to love his creation. You see, here's what I'm saying to you is a takeaway from uh, this. What does this mean for our lives? This that we have come to understand at Christmas is that God is relational. He's relational. From all eternity, He's been in relationship. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the, the Father, the Spirit. There's been that community, that family, that relationship. And we are here because that's his very nature to love. And we're the overflow of that loving relationship. And God, you can relate to God because he is relational. And we've learned from the Christmas story that God is Father. I had a good father. As I look back now, my dad was out of work for several periods of life in his life. He broke his back in a car wreck one time and was out of work for a while, had to find another job. But you know what? I never really thought about any of that when I was a kid. I just had a dad who took care of me. He was a protector and a provider. I had a good dad. And I want you to know that what Christmas reveals to us, you got a father. He loves you. He's been loving a son for all eternity. He's relational. He relates to you. And some of you, that's hard to grasp because you didn't have a good dad. Don't let that poison your view of the Father because what you didn't have is what you can have. One time I got food poisoning at a Chinese restaurant. I ate the egg drop soup. Everybody else got the wonton soup. It didn't make me quit eating food forever. I just got some bad food. 
I don't really like eggnog soup too much now. But I didn't quit. I didn't, I didn't say food is bad. I don't eat food. If you've had a bad relationship, don't reflect that on God. You can have a good relationship. He's what you, you're yearning for, what you want. Because he's the eternal father who has been loving the son for all eternity. It is his very nature to relate to you and to love you. And the only way you'll know the father is through the son. The only one who knows the father is the son and those to whom he chooses to reveal him. Christmas teaches us if you know God through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand together with me. We're going to have a time of invitation. Do you have a relationship with God? You can today. Christmas has revealed to us this relational nature of God in a way we never would have figured before. And so today I want to invite you to come to begin to know God as certainly as you know your neighbor, your sister, your dad. It's through Jesus it's only through Jesus that you'll know him. He's the one who perfectly knows the Father. Would you come to Jesus? I'm going to invite you to walk down one of these aisles and say, I've been searching for some relationship. I believe this truth revealed to me about God. I'll come to know him. I'll claim him as my Savior and Lord of my life. Maybe you need a church home in the same way. I invite you to walk forward as we sing. This is your time to respond. Let's sing together. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord, for you alone are worthy. For you alone are worthy, for you alone are worthy, Christ the Lord. We'll give him all the glory. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated if you will. We're going to give our offerings now in worship. join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise your holy name, and we give thanks, dear Lord, for this good December day. Thank you for letting us be a part of it, both uh, here in worship and those viewing at home. And especially, Lord, we give thanks for your Son, Jesus, 
who was born for us, who died for us, and rose again for us. Forgive us, dear Lord, for those ways in which you would not be pleased with us. But bless these tithes and offerings for the furtherance of your kingdom. This is our prayer, Lord. It's in your name. Amen.
Thank you, Megan. As we close, just one quick announcement. Uh, don't forget about, uh, you know, we're in a season of giving and, and our missions offering and giving toward that is still open. We still have not reached our goal there also. Uh, but we also have a chance to give to those locally in our community on, through the angel tree. We still have 10 uh, angels that are on there that uh, we still need to get picked up today because they need to be brought back by next Sunday to be able to provide for them. So let's make sure those 10 angels get picked up and, and provided for. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity to worship you and to know that we can have a relationship with you and that you love us. Lord, as we close, help us to be faithful to you and just to represent who you are by the way that we live and by the way that we love, by the way that we uh, live in community with each other. It's in your sons and we pray.